Well, good morning. You can open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to continue our study through uh, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. This morning we plan to cover in chapter 2 the first 11 verses. And the title of the message this morning is God Honoring Lifestyle. So we're going to look closely at our lives this morning. I'm going to start with a quote from Brennan Manning. And I quote, The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, then walk out the door and deny him with their lifestyle. He finishes by saying, that is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And as sitting in the Sunday school lesson this morning, class this morning, it kind of ties in with being doers of the word and not hearers only. But he, he's, his quote is saying that the biggest cause of atheism, people turning away from God and saying there is no God, is because of Christians who say this and do that. I'm not saying that's found among us, but that's a quote that he said. A, a while back we looked at, at 1 John, and three times in 1 John we find the words, if we say. And he goes on, and then... Two times in the verses we're going to look at this morning, here in chapter 2, we find the words, He that saith. And John is using these phrases in reference to a person who's, who says something, but then does another. You know, trying to make themselves look good, but in reality, the truth is revealed by their lifestyle. We can hide a lot as we go through life, but there are some things that we cannot hide and the way that we live is governed, true or false, by the choices that we make. I see a number decided this morning, you're going to come to church. Tomorrow you're going to decide to do this or to do that. And not everything that we do, not every choice that we make is right or wrong. For example, I begin my day, most days, every morning with coffee. And you might be saying, well, I don't. And that's fine. There's no right or wrong to some things. But a lot of things there is. There's right and there's wrong. And it's important that our lips and our lives and our lifestyle coincide. You know, do we say one thing and do another? Just to try to make others think that we're better than we actually are. But the truth always will be revealed by our lifestyle. I have three points for the, the message this morning from... 1 John 2, verses 1 through 11, the, three, the first point is sin-free living. The second point is Christ-like obedience. And then the third point is love one another. So the first point, sin-free living, I'm going to read uh, verses 1 and 2, 1 John chapter 2. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. If you remember, and just look up in your Bible there at, at verse 8 of the first chapter, we see that we cannot go through life claiming sinless perfection. We learned that uh, a few weeks ago. And also, we remember the verse... Uh, Romans 3.23, it says, 
For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That word all is in there. So we see where we are at. Back in chapter 1 and verse 9, we find direction. If we sin, what are we going to do? We're going to confess. And we're going to ask for our sin to be forgiven. And Jesus is going to come along and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now John begins this chapter here and saying that you sin not. And what he wants to do... <clears throat> What he's doing, he wants us to be clear that we know that sin is totally out of place in the life of the believer. What he wrote there in chapter 1, he's not saying that we have a green light to indulge in sin, then come to verse 9, we're going to confess it, and then go back and continue the sin cycle. No, that's not what we're supposed to be doing. In verse chapter one, verse chapter two, verse one, that you sin not. We need to be careful we don't have a light attitude towards sin. What is our attitude towards sin? What does Romans say? Are we going to sin so that grace may abound? God forbid. How the, how should we that are in freedom continue to to deal with sin? We're not going to do that. We need to be checking our attitude. For it's God's desire, and I trust it should be ours as well, that we live free from sin. We talk about living in victory, and that's what God wants for each one of us. And it should be our desire, excuse me, it should also be the desire for every child of God to be cleansed from all sin. And I trust when you're here this morning, that's where you're at. Free from sin and not continuing the cycle. But keep ourselves unspotted from the world and live in a way that will never offend our maker. And I think it's, it's a key ingredient for you and I, desire to be pure and the desire to be sinless. Carried with that is the attitude of living carefully and not casually. Well, you could say, you could argue the fact, say, well, the Bible tells us that if we sin, we can go right here in 1 John, that God's going to forgive us. Yes. I want to I make sure that's clear. God will forgive. And we should have a, an entire message on forgiveness. That, that's a beautiful picture. But God is not saying that, brother and sister, you can sin today and confess it, sin tomorrow and confess it, and Tuesday and Wednesday. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. That's what John's saying. He, we're supposed to keep ourselves from sin, that you sin not and I want to plant it within you if I can, or maybe it's there already. It's an inner determination to live one more hour or to live another day, or maybe another week without sinning. You know, do we have that within? And the flip side of the coin is we're human. Amen. We are. But what I'm trying to point out, we don't have a license in our pockets just to, just to sin, 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 and then forgive, forgive, forgive. But we have that inner desire. Can I live another hour, another day, another week, another year without doing anything wrong? Or maybe uh, the drive of our life should be to put a smile on the face of our Lord. It's easier to smile than to frown, but are we, is our lifestyle putting a smile on the face of our Lord? And while this would be the, the ideal goal, John is aware that we may have an unguarded moment. And as I mentioned, we're human and we may fail. But no need to give up because he's telling us that we have Jesus Christ. He is our advocate, not a term we use a lot, referring to one who is called alongside to help another. And we can look at this as saying Jesus is our defense attorney. 
So picture Jesus being by your side, and we have made a mistake. He is there. He's ready to assist us. And because of his shed blood, we, our sins can be forgiven, and our relationship with the Father can be restored. Jesus is always there for us. So take your, your mind to a courtroom. The attorney sides with his client. And what does he do? He tries to prove his or her innocence so that they can be set free instead of being sent to prison. But it works a little bit different with Jesus. Why? Because he knows many times we're guilty. He's not going to go to God and try to convince God that I'm innocent when he knows the truth. So what does he do? He forgives us. Here again, we have that picture of forgiveness. He forgives us for a wrong, and Jesus Christ, only through him, he is able to present us to the Father, free, cleansed, forgiven, and the Father accepts us as pure, and then we end by saying, thank you, Jesus, for your shed blood. He is our advocate, and in verse 2 we see he is our propitiation, which speaks of one who can turn away wrath. Well, why do we need wrath to be turned away? Well, what does sin do? If we do wrong, sin brings on us the wrath of God, and sin separates us from God. We see that picture there. But God provided a way back to him. Again, how was that? Through Jesus Christ. He sent Jesus to the cross to do what? To pay that debt that we owed. To pay our sin, the payment for our sin. And his payment turns away God's displeasure. It propitiates God's displeasure and is there for all who believe. But propitiation requires two things. The first one is faith. That's on the part of you and I. And here we see the part faith needs to be applied before the second part can be added. And that is, again, the blood of Jesus Christ. So, yes, he is our advocate. Picture that as our attorney. He is our propitiation. He turns away God's wrath. Jesus is doing all this so that we can have a clear relationship with our Heavenly Father. It's just, if you look at the first two verses, it's just a beautiful scene there. John says, my little children, he uh, starts off there. John was an older man when he wrote this letter, and so he's addressing younger people, uh, little children. You know, although the desire of sin-free living is within each genuine believer, we are aware of our sin nature. So when we fail, when we fall, we don't need to despair. There's no reason to give up. While our desire, I trust, is righteous living, at the same time, look at it this way, God's desire is close relationship with his children. So it's kind of like a two-way street. And God is also aware of our fallen nature, obviously. He created us. And he wants open communication with his children. So Jesus was the bridge that, to bridge that gap so that we can have uh, open communication with God and live pure, free, holy lives. He is our advocate. He is our propitiation. And he is so, so much more. And if you look at verses 1 and 2 and try to put it into a, paint a picture with that, it, it's God's plan. We're allowed to dwell here on this earth for a short period of time. Then what happens? We'll face eternity. But those who, by faith, accept the plan God has provided will spend eternity with him in the glories of heaven. <clears throat> Try to paint another picture here. Imagine a, a prisoner standing in the courtroom, and this prisoner is guilty, no doubt. So the judge, he's doing his job by law. He imposes a fine for the crime that was committed. Then after 
imposing the fine, the judge, with a, a gesture of kindness, he reaches under his desk and takes out his very own checkbook and writes out a check and pays for the fine that he is supposed imposed upon this prisoner. He said, you're guilty, here's the amount, but he actually paid the fine. So what happens to the prisoner? Well, he's set free. The fine has been paid, and he's ready to go. The judge was required by law to demand that the fine is being paid, for the man was guilty, but there was nothing in the law that prevents a judge from paying for the fine himself. And that's exactly what happened, and he was set free. And so it is, look on the spiritual side, on our behalf. God's holiness required a penalty for our sin. You know, it, wouldn't, it would not be justice for God to let us go and continue living in sin, but there is no law that prevents God from paying the penalty that we really deserve. And that is exactly what God did through Jesus Christ. And today, because of that, you and I can be, the prisoners, as, as sinners, can be set free. In the end of verse 2, we see that this forgiveness for sin is not just for the believer only, but for the sins of the whole world. Wherever on this earth we'll be living, it's available to all. Point number two, Christ-like obedience, taken from verses 3 through 6. I'll read that. And hereby, we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected, that we thereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk, even as he walked. Sin-free living, if we're going to have victory there, we need to be obedient. And here we see some Christ-like obedience. John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, I keep my commandments. Just a little bit earlier, we talked about our attitude and choices and uh, inner desires, and it ties in so well with this section of verses here, and as we see obedience just shining through, but I see a little bit more than just obedience there. Again, if you take these verses and kind of look at them from a distance, what you see here is devotion. You see commitment. You see dedication and appreciation for what God and what Jesus Christ has done for us. And at the end of verse 2, I also see a, a place where we just pause and consider and thank the Lord Jesus for the debt that he has paid. It's not for us. He didn't pay it just for us, for the sins of the whole world. Just stop there and thank him, and then we move on. When someone helps us complete a job, we're, we're thankful for the assistance that they provided. You know, after a meal, I trust we, we, we thank the cook. When someone answers a, a tough question, we thank them for the wisdom that they provided. And the term thank you should be in the tip of our tongues, and I, I, I trust that it is. But what's our response when someone helps us do something we simply could not do on our own? Do you ever find yourself there? You know, you see the, a task here needs to be accomplished, but I simply cannot handle it on my own. So we can stand back and look at it for a while, but it still won't get it done. And we know we could hire someone and pay a large amount of money for that, and we, that would probably take care of it. 
But then as we're standing there, think about it. Someone drives along the road, and they, they're driving along the road, and they stop, and they walk over and just take care of it. You know, what's our response? We, we just stop and say, you know, thank you so much. I don't know how I would have done that. Along came Jesus on the, on the spiritual side, and he paid the debt that we could not pay. He saw the need, and without us asking, he stopped by and paid the debt and restored our relationship with God and provided him a way for eternal life. And yes, we, we can say, and I trust we do say thank you to Jesus, but I all believe, I believe he deserves so much more. And John was writing this here that we become aware of our bond with him. He says, when we obey him, we keep his commandments. Obedience, we, we know the saying, is, a, is the best way to show that we believe. But it's, it's not simply showing others that you believe, although that is an important factor. It's also proven by lifestyle of obedience to the Lord. Say we believe is one thing, show people is another, but is our, does our lifestyle expose our obedience to the Lord? And it's a level that, of obedience that the Lord is aware of. You can make people believe some things, that you can cover up some things, but the Lord knows everything. Obedience is a sign of, of a relationship and, a, and fellowship with Jesus Christ. We think of obedience. Are we there? Um, verse 4 goes back to what I started with, if we say something, but then do something different. And if you go back to chapter 1, and you see verses 6, 8, and 10, we kind of see uh, some words like liar, no truth, and deceit. And it appears that John was addressing earlier statements. And what I see is a caution flag being waved, because verse 3 tells us clearly that to know him is to follow him and obey him. Disobedience to God's word is a clear sign of an unbeliever. So for the Christian this morning, and as we go out through our, our lives, obedience is not an option. Hereby we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. So what we're told is there'll be no fellowship with God apart from obedience to his commands. And it's not referring only to the Ten Commandments back in Exodus, but to keep his commands is the same as keeping God's word. So we take the word of God at face value. Also in verse 4 we see that we cannot hide anything from God. He that saith, I know him, keeps not commandments is a liar. We can't hide anything from God because we serve an all-knowing God. Luke 18, Luke 8, 7. For nothing is hid in secret that shall not be made manifest nor anything hid that shall not be known or come abroad. So let's not go to verse 4 and, get, and stay stuck there. Go to verse 3 and jump to 5, but be careful what we do there. Our love and devotion for God may include words, but needs to be more than words. Actions, our actions and our lifestyle will demonstrate our love for God. We're talking about a God-honoring lifestyle. When we get to this, this chapter, should actually, if it if we're not living correct, correctly, it's actually changed the way we perceive life, the way we look at things. <clears throat> Our love is not a matter of lip service, but one of life service. Is your entire life reflecting your love for God? The love of God, in verse 5, the love of God is perfected 
in the life of the obedient. And it's referring to an, an inner condition that is expressed in a Christ-like walk on the part who those who abide in or remain in Christ. Is the love of God perfected in your heart? The word perfected means matured, completed, and well-rounded in the likeness of God. Those who obey God's word uh, experience the unrestricted love of God. Those, verse 5 again, but whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected, completed. It's trust that's where we are at this morning. And hereby we know that we are in him. On one occasion, a Bible translator was trying to find a, a word for obey in another language. And obedience was not a, a virtue that was practiced a lot where he was living among the people there. So one day as he's walking through the village, he whistled for, for his dog. And his dog came running at top speed. Obedient dog. And there was a native there who noticed what had happened. And he said to the translator, he said, your dog is all ear. And that was a phrase that he needed to translate the word obey. So how do we measure up to that level of obedience? Are we all ear to the, what the word of God is saying? And are we following his instruction to the letter? And that's how the word of God is perfected in us when we are, and again I repeat, all ear. Or go back to the word in our language, obedience. Where are we at? In verse 3, uh, obedience is a gauge to know that we know him. So if we are obedient to God, we know him. And in verse 5, it's a gauge to know that we are in him. So it's not like just that we only know him, but that we are in him and follow him to the letter. Then verse 6 takes it a step further or provides additional evidence for the genuine believer. Those who abide in Christ will walk as Christ walked. Taking our level to our obedience to another level. You know, as we commit to following our Savior, what's going to happen? We're going to imitate his footsteps. Little children, little boys oftentimes imitate their fathers. And it's, it's cute. And I think Christ thinks it's cute when we imitate him as well. Are we imitating his footsteps? Are we uh, imitating his walk and his manner of life? We can read the Gospels and we know how he lived and get a clear picture of how he wants us to live. To walk as he walked means to live as he lived. Again, we know how Jesus Christ walked and lived in holiness and in service. We know that Jesus was eager to do God's will. Jesus was speaking in John 8, 29, and he that sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. And the question could be asked, can that be said about you and about me? The theme in the book, In His Steps, was a, a group of people in a local congregation who decided to try to do what they thought Jesus would do in every situation. Earlier I said we go through life making a lot of choices. And that that's, will happen today again and tomorrow. But this congregation said we're going to decide try to do everything that Jesus would do in each situation. And the story goes on to say it changed their total approach to life. 
And I'm not saying that congregation was out in left field. I'm not saying we are. But every day, in every situation, may we too, like this group I'm talking about, a group of people, we should seek to walk as Jesus walked. And if you're like, if you're like situations like I get myself in sometimes, there, there's many of them. And it's so nice just to, if we can stand back and just ask, how would Jesus handle this? Or how would he handle that? Progress in Christ's likeness is an important test to walking in the light. And as we think of, of our life, I think the familiar song uh, that we sing sometimes says it so well. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. And sometimes we say it's a children's song, trust and obey, but it just speaks volumes. Obedience is the secret of fellowship with God. And as we think about imitating Christ, you know, he lived in total dependence upon the Father. He was submissive to God's will. And so what are we? We are to follow his example. And there is joy and blessing in following the footsteps of Jesus. So we move on here to the third point, love one another. John gives more instruction for the believer in verses 7 through 11. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. He that abideth in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even unto now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. Back in verses 3 and 5, Jesus said, Those who know God will obey his commandments. And now he gives another command for us, and that is to love our fellow believers. In verse 7, John wrote and said, it's not a new commandment. And this commandment of loving one another goes, has roots that go back, way back. And we think of loving one another, we can go back to Leviticus 19.18. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the people, children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. And we can think of our love for God in Deuteronomy 6.5. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Then we get to verse 8, and he says again, a new commandment. So the disciples were familiar with the old commandment that required to love others, but Jesus says it's a, it's a new one. And you could think, well, it's a, a special newness about an old commandment, which is demonstrated by Jesus' willingness to endure suffering and agonizing death for sinners. Jesus demonstrated his love on a scale that had never before been known. Romans 5, 7, 8, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commanded his love towards us in that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I trust that section of verses we will, will never forget. 
it's something to repay someone for a deed of kindness. You know, we know that story. But here we see, while we were yet in sin, Christ said, here's some bad people. I'm going to give my life for them. That's exactly what he did. You know, the work that Christ accomplished on the cross demonstrated the fullness of God's love for man. So we could ask, John, why is it a new command? And there's, real quickly, three things here we could look at. The Old Testament, number one, the Old Testament told people to love. You know, the Old Testament spoke the law, as I read there in Leviticus. Thou shalt love. But Jesus took it to a higher level when he showed us how to love. It's one thing to tell someone how to do something, but another to actually demonstrate how to do it. That's exactly what Jesus did. And then he goes on to you and I, and he's he telling us today, love as I have loved you. So we're not to wait until somebody does something good and kind to us. Before, okay, yeah, I can love that guy and, and repay him with this. No, Jesus said we're supposed to do as he did, and he died for us while we were yet in our sin. So took the law to a, a new level there and actually demonstrated how to do it. We call it new there. The second thing, uh, John 13, 35 by this shall men know you are my disciples if you have loved one for another. And you could look at it this way. You could put a letter in the mailbox and send a nice note of encouragement to your friend or to someone that you know. But unless you put a stamp on that letter, it's not going to go anywhere. You need the stamp. And the post office needs to see that little sticker in the corner of the envelope to know that, that you paid for their services and you're serious about getting your letter to your friend's mailbox. Well, your love for one another is like a stamp or a badge on your life, proving without doubt that you are a child or a disciple of Jesus Christ. So we could say the new commandment is a new stamp of identity. Is that on your life? That stamp that people know without a doubt that you're serious about your commitment to Jesus Christ. Or it could be said, the love that, bear, that the righteous bear to God and to each other is a renewal of the commandment. Do you love others as Christ has first loved you? And the third thing we can look at here, a new command. This command continually transforms and renews the lives of Christians. And as we see in uh, the end of verse 8, the darkness is past and true light now shineth. The darkness in our lives will disappear and the new light of life in Christ will shine and making all who believe new people. And if you look at it this way, you be, this command will be considered new forever. So love is the identifying mark of the Christian community. And that doesn't take one or two people, one or two families, that takes everyone. It's a key to walking in the light because we cannot grow spiritually when we have hatred in our heart toward, towards others. So what does loving others mean? Well, it, does, it does not mean that we'll never disagree with someone else. But it does mean that we'll not despise others and also means that we will be willing to go the second mile with those who don't appreciate us. We can look at it this way. Christian love is not a feeling. It's a choice. Going back to what he said earlier, it's choices that we're going to make. So I guess we can... I 
heard it said one time, someone made a comment, boy, you make me mad. And someone come back with that and said, no, I can't make you mad. That's your choice. And I can take that and write in with, uh, with Christian love here. Well, you really make me love you. Yeah, that's exactly right, because that's a choice. Where are we at? The Christian will treat others with respect, even when there be, uh, might be ways by others that we don't appreciate. How is it possible? We're talking about Christ-like love and obedience. Christ-like love is only possible when the true light of Christ is brightly shining in our hearts. Don't ever think we can take Christ out of our lives and be living in victory because it's not going to happen. He paved the way for you and I. He paved the way to our Heavenly Father. He paved it all, but we need to follow him and love and obey him. If you look at verses 9 through 11, there's some, some key words in these verses that I read, and they uh, are hate and darkness and stumbles and blinded. And what I see here is words of caution. Christian, be careful with your thoughts, your actions, and your words. Saying one thing and doing another is wrong. We talked about that earlier. Wrong is sin, sin is darkness, and darkness is the absence of light that we saw back there in verse 8. We need to be careful. Those in darkness no longer have that badge or that stamp on their life of being a follower of Christ that has been removed and spiritual growth comes to a standstill. There's a saying, to dwell in love with saints above, that will be glory. And we think of the coming day we get to heaven and we can dwell with each other. But the saying goes on, but to dwell below with the saints below, that's a different story. So what is Jesus telling us? through the words here that John wrote, he's saying that we're to prove that statement wrong by our lifestyle. Yes, we're looking forward to glory, and we can dwell with each other, but what we see here is today, tomorrow, Tuesday, we're to dwell below with saints below in a positive light, letting our light shine. He is asking us to follow his example of love. And remember the verse, that verse in Romans where he gave his life for us while we were yet in sin. Verse 10, those who walk as Christ walked, those who love as Christ loved are walking with the Lord and reflecting his love. We talked about a mirror in the Sunday school last little bit this morning, but are, are we reflecting the love of Christ? If you walk around in a dark room, going on to verse uh, yeah, 9 and 11 here, uh, there's always that possibility of stumbling. But it's not the case when we're abiding or walking in the light. We can see the path and see where we are going. Verse 11, speaking here of darkness, those who uh, work and live in dark places eventually discover that darkness has a blinding effect on their eyes. It's been said that ponies that haul coal out of mines spend so much time in the darkness that they become blind. And for those living in spiritual darkness, life becomes meaningless, dark, and without purpose. But we can't end on a dark note. Are we walking in the light and where we have no occasion of stumbling? Are we following Jesus Christ and reflecting his image? John uh, states that believers can measure their obedience by answering one simple question. 
Do you love your Christian brothers and sisters? And it's important that a true obedience is not a performance and does not come with reluctance. We don't get up in the morning and say, why, well, now I have to love so-and-so again. No, it is something that happens. It's by default. Obedience is seeking God with one's whole heart, and there is genuine beauty we can claim the love of God in our hearts and live peaceably with others. In conclusion, may our lifestyle today and always be as we see here in these verses, uh, sin-free living, complete surrender, obedience to Christ, and genuine love for our fellow man. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you here this morning. We used to say thank you, God, for your word. Lord, that we can just study it and dig into it. And thank you for what you are showing us here today. I pray, Lord, that our lifestyle could be sweet, pleasing, and honoring to you, God. And I pray, Lord, that we could be living in victory. We could have Christ-like obedience and also love one for another. Give us wisdom and direction as we go on through here. Help us, Lord, just to keep our eyes Focus on the day when you will call us home and we can live with you in eternity. Trust that our hearts and lives could be pure and we could be ready for that day. Bless each one for coming out this morning and dismiss us with your blessing, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.